Hello, everyone. You are listening to the DMZ America podcast for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. Coming to you from the left, I am political cartoonist Ted Rawl. And I am political cartoonist Scott Stantis coming to you from the right, as long as there are political cartoonists, as, as long, long as the hounds a... aren't released. I was going to say as long as there is a right, but what else is there, really? <laughs> I am reading. I, I got to tell you. Now, Tell me if I, this is just hyperbole. Ted, you gave me this book. It's a parallel um, biography of both Stalin and Hitler, cleverly entitled Stalin and Hitler. Actually, that's a lie. It's Hitler and Stalin. No, I don't think so. I think it is. Alan Bullock. Yeah. British historian. Anyway, am I, I mean, the, the rise of Hitler, the thinking of Hitler I mean, I'm just reading now his ascent and his, uh, they were, we're in 1939, uh, just before the invasion of Poland. Um, here's a guy, Megalob, you know, it's all about power, period. It's not, there's no policies. They didn't run on policies per se. No, no policies. Hitler had a theory about it he, that he articulated. He thought that policies boxed you in and that what, what people who um, were interested, the, the, the appeal of fascism was the cult of action. The idea, like, just keep going, yes. just do things, move fast and break things. Um, you know, just yeah. Does that sound familiar? Exciting because it's entertaining, right? There's something to it, obviously. There's something yeah. to it, but it's not policy. It's not. And does it sound vaguely familiar? Although there are orientations, <laughs> there are things that you know fascism would not do. But there are things. But there, it's very flexible, right? I mean, oh, there yeah. are aspects yeah, yeah. of fascism that would not be unfamiliar to a communist regime, you know, for example, uh, you know, fl they flattened pay scales or expropriating private property for the public, um, you know, redistribution of wealth, lots of things that, you know, there's, that's part of the reason that sometimes right-wingers claim falsely that fascism is a left-wing ideology, uh, but it's, but it's more, it's a right-wing ideology, but it's flexible and dynamic. Well, explain, define right wing. How are you, how are you meaning that? Because I hear well, that a lot. And I, people I, I, always I, talk about, okay, so basically, you know, the, you, as you know, um, these terms come from the French Revolution. Um, and when, um, and, and right, and at the time of the revolution, when the early French parliament met, uh, all the people who were associated, and there were deputies who sat on the left side and deputies who sat on the right side, and after okay. a while, the range of it, like the people who were in the center, would literally sit in the middle, and so that's how we—that's how that orientation starts. And basically, um, I think it's fair to say that um, economically, the left uh, favors um, equal income, and uh, and the right favors equal opportunity uh, to earn an income. So basically, the left is about trying to secure the right of the individual to uh, live well, uh, no matter what. And the right is trying to uh, secure the right of the individual to succeed, no matter right, no matter what. Um, and those, uh, obviously, from there, you end up with different outcomes. Um, the So the left will, will be into redistribution of wealth and to downward from rich to poor. Uh, the right will do the opposite. The right's more interested in business than the left is. Um, and then, of course, on... Uh, when it comes to liberalism, that tends to be like the basically the I think the the best way to describe it is the right puts the state above the individual, 
the, the left puts the individual above the state, which is why I've always said that you're not really a right winger as a libertarian. You're more of like a liberal hmm. libertarian because a, um, you know, a, the rights of the individual for you are super important and the rights of the state are yes. not. But like in a true, like for example, in a fascist state, the right of the state is absolutely paramount and the individuals are supposed to sacrifice everything for the glory and the power of the state. In, the, in, a, in, a, in a communist environment, uh, the state, of course, socialism is a state, but ultimately under communism, the state's supposed to go away and you're supposed to end up just with people living communally without hierarchy. <laughs> I mean, you know, the new communist man, it's kind of a joke, right? Because obviously uh, it's not only have we never gotten there, we've never, we can't even imagine what that would look like, <laughs> right? So it's kind of like, right. you know, maybe it's just bullshit. Um, so I think that's that's how we would say that. But anyway. Um, Interesting. Okay. I, sorry. Sorry for the. No. Oh, it's fascinating. That's why we do this. Yeah, true. true. <laughs> that's why we do this. Uh, so the 14th Amendment, I, the uh, Supreme Court's going to hear oral arguments tomorrow. And you and I were talking just before we started recording that uh, wondering if Trump, can he show up? I mean, can he just sit there as a plaintiff at the table you know, and, gl up. and glower, you know, though? Well, I don't know. I don't know if as a plaintiff, you have any special right to attend. Um, your attorneys do. But I'm not sure that even if you like, you know, let's say it was like the couple, the lovings in in the 60s who, uh, you know, who attend, who were uh, who sued for interracial marriage. Um, successfully, I'm not even sure they were allowed to attend like without just sort of waiting in line. Um, I, I, but anyway, the point is that, so yeah, so that, so basically where we are is the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump should, is, was an insurrectionist and therefore under 14th Amendment Section 3 uh, could and should be removed from the ballot in the state of Colorado. Uh, the Secretary of State of Maine followed suit. There's a dozen plus other states who are now have cases like that either in the works or are, are you know whatever they're in process so basically the the colorado case is the big one that will give guidance to everyone and the questions uh the questions are under the meaning of section 3 14th amendment a is the president considered an officer i'm going to pull up the exact text of uh, the amendment of the relevant section so we can really, instead of just sort of doing this out of our ass. Um, <laughs> as we so often do. As we so often do. Um, okay, so here we go. Um, so basically, um, blah, 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 no person, I'm going to skip, no person shall be, I'm going to skip to the relevant part, um, president, blah, 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 there's lots of other stuff, but relevant here, president, um, who, this is the important part, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, uh, blah, 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 blah. Should, but can be, okay, can be, can be put on the ballot, fine. So the question is, is the president an officer of the United States? Trump's attorneys argued in their brief that he's not and that if the drafters of the 14th Amendment had considered um, that the president to be an officer, they would have listed the president and the vice president or whoever else uh, as rather than just have it as an officer. Because when you listen to the first part, the first part is no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the U.S. or, any under, or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress, 
or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution shall have been engaged in insurrection. I mean, I, I think it's a very poorly written uh, section. Yeah. And um, and I guess the thing is, I mean, Thomas Jefferson was long dead. He would have done better, um, you know. And of course, also the meaning of language has changed uh, even since 1868 when this was ratified. Um, you know, language changes a lot very quickly. I mean, you know, for example, begs the question when you people say that now, it doesn't mean what it meant 20 years ago. It really 20. It you know now people when they say oh that begs the question, they really mean it prompts the question which is not the same thing as begs the question. But my point is language changes. But the, so, and then, you know, the, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that like, it would be ridiculous to think that the drafters of the, of section three would be totally okay for someone to become a Senator or a Congressman, um, or, or, you know, or an elector, uh, that those people wouldn't be allowed to be an insurrectionist, but the president could be. Yeah, I think too the language that you that you quoted from the um, from the from section three, there's some language in there that you could that you could definitely apply to the presidency, an officer of the an officer that's what, of that's the government. What, I mean, yeah, the an, is the president an officer of the United States? Trump's people say no. Well, Trump's officer. Okay, that's I disagree with that, and I suspect you do too. I think I do. I, I have to agree that I can't imagine that the original intent of the drafters was to exclude, yeah. specifically exclude the president. Jeff Jeff Davis can't be a congressman or a senator, but by gum, he can be president of the United States. Although yeah. he could have been because there was a the amnesty, the general amnesty of 1872, four years later. But this applies to future insurrections. That only, uh, that amnesty only applied retroactively to the people who had served in the Confederacy. And in fact, there were people who invited Jefferson Davis to run for office and 10 former Confederate officials did end up serving in the U.S. Congress after the amnesty of 1872. So um, anyway, so I think that I agree with you, that issue is going to be rapidly disposed of. Then the next question is, uh, and this is very big, is Donald Trump an insurrectionist? Now, this is a self, this, this is the relevant part, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to the enemies of the United States. Now, the question is, this is this is what uh, scholars and legal scholars call a self-executing provision. So for example, the president has to be over 30, age 35, is a self-executing provision. In other words, you don't have to go to an authority and get a ruling and say from a court, is Scott Stantis over the age of 35 or not? Plainly, evidently, he is over the age of 35 by all the metrics that our society understands. So the problem is this is written just like that. But look, unlike being over age 35, being an insurrectionist is subjective, right? Like what is an insurrection? Was January 6th an act of insurrection? I mean, when this was passed, this, this came after two major events, the Civil War, obviously, and an attempt to stop the counting of the vote in 1861, sound familiar? Um, and that failed, but um, be, they didn't even get into Congress to stop it. But the point is, um, you could certainly argue that January 6th was a sort of insurrection light, 
But was it an insurrection? And I mean, you and I both know Donald Trump wanted the, the, the vote to stop. He did not want the Electoral College vote to be certified. We know that. We talked about it here on the pod, like before, that he was planning a coup. We, we yeah. both think that. We thought that. We think that that was his half. He, did, he does everything half-assed, including his coup. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah. question is, does a half-assed coup count as an insurrection? And yes. Okay, I mean, I think that's reasonable minds can differ. I don't know, is my answer. I really don't know. Um, and then the other question is, if so, was Donald Trump the leader of the coup? <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, he does everything half-assed. That's, thank God. Otherwise, God, where would this country be if he actually had a work ethic? Um, I Yeah. If we're debating this question, I think that he went there. He said, go to the Capitol. I think that by fight every... Like hell. What's that? He said, fight like hell. Although I like how by that's every just metrics, rhetoric, though, I mean, lots of politicians have said things like that. I mean, right. But I think, too, if you listen to what he was saying from all accounts from his aides when he was back in the White House watching this, um, he was, you know, he was rooting on. He was rooting for the guys who were going to try to string up. First of all, try to string up, you know, Michael Pence. Um, and he was silent also, for what, four hours on Twitter, which for him yeah. is like an eternity. Yeah, he doesn't do yeah. that at three in the morning. And I think he understood that there could that what if he had like said anything that was directly actionable, he would be accountable for this. I again, he's very good at tap dancing away from taking responsibility for almost anything. Yes. But I'd say trying to overturn an election, a duly counted election, a duly and and wasn't duly certified as about to be, but try to overturn those. Um, that to me, yeah, that that qualifies as insurrection. That qualifies as trying to have a coup, which in my mind, again, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, a coup is, is is tantamount to insurrection. I mean, it is for me. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, look, I think the truth is, I do think January 6th amounted to an insurrection because an insurrection is a violent act that seeks to stop um, a, a a government function. It doesn't even say an important government function. It could be any government function. Clearly, that was an attempt to do that. And clearly, Donald Trump wanted it to happen. And I guess the question is, let's just say they had seized power, strung up Mike Pence, um, taken over the Congress, and said, the people wish you have decided you will remain, dear leader. Would he have been like, yeah, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he oh, yeah, you know, he would have now where this question and where this story gets super interesting and where there really has been very little coverage, Ted, is what was the military's view of all this? Mm. We've heard that there were many high ranking uh, uh, generals who were like, oh, hell's no. Yes. Well, but that also after there wasn't the fact, all of them say that. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's. Excellent point. And two, there's a lot of generals who we don't know what they were thinking at the time. Right. And let's face it, the military is very right wing. So um, and God knows what Trump would have offered them and promised them. Uh, for yeah, he, did not, he clearly did not enact. He didn't intend like, you know, whatever it was, 10 days in October. He wasn't going for a military coup. This, no. you know, he, he was going for a mob coup. Um, that was and doing approach. and doing what, what you know, 
doing what he loves best, which is create chaos and then maneuver through chaos. And there's, oh, and don't want. forget there's those White House meetings with the Proud Boy guys and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's pretty damning. Oh, very, very. So can you, you, I think a reasonable person can get from point A to point B being, yes, it was an insurrection. And yes, yeah, okay, it was directed. So, then it, uh, so uh, assuming that's the case, Scott, the U.S. Supreme Court finds itself in just the worst possible <laughs> know, position that oh it God. can, because you know what I'm going to say. I mean, they can either they can either follow the plain language of the Constitution, or they can allow democracy to continue in the United States. But they really can't do both, because if they if Colorado if they if they let the lower court ruling stand, then Trump will be removed from enough states to deny him the presidency. And there well, will let be me ask people you. who will walk into a voting booth and it'll look like Iraq under Saddam Hussein. There will be one person's name on the ballot. And people are like, well, in my jurisdiction, I see the socialist workers. Yeah, well, not in most jurisdictions. Okay, but ballot access is very hard. And yeah. I, if, if yeah. it's for France, where there were 27 parties on the ballot, it would not really matter that much. But we've got two. And when you go from two, you know, the difference from between 17 and 16 is not that much. The difference between three and two is huge. The difference between two and one is nuclear. It's literally the difference between you have a choice and you have no choice. It's literally democracy or autocracy. And I don't care what Democrats say, like, you know, the, the sophistry is it's not anti-democratic. If it's in the Constitution, the fuck it isn't. Slavery was in the Constitution. It's like you know you can, it's like you can have something be undemocratic, and it's not democratic that you have to be thirty-five. It's not democratic that you have to be eighteen to vote. That's not democratic. But it was in the it's in the Constitution. It's like you know it's like the and so also it's like oh Trump we're not disqualifying Trump. He disqualified himself. Give me a fucking break. This is kind of like a cop can pull you over driving 26 and a 25. He can, and he can give you a ticket. But, he, you know, the point is that, like, a lot of people are going to think he's an asshole. And, like, if you take Donald Trump off the ballot, a lot of people, 100 million people, are going to think that the system is fixed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you have raised these questions before, and you've, you've certainly done them on your radio show. And I... I like to pride myself on thing. I can take what you say or take what someone says and think about it for a while and come back with, okay, here's the answer to this question. Yeah. Ted, I can't. Um, if I was a Supreme Court Justice Stantis, uh, <clears throat> I would look at this and I'd say, oh, shit, we took this? Yeah. What were we thinking? Well, they had <laughs> to take it. They had to provide guidance. To they do. The because state. there is no, there's literally no, you know, we're obviously a system of stare decisis, which is, you know, and, and court history and, and, and precedent. And there's no precedent because this has never been brought before court. There is literally 150 plus years, zero. Um, Only one person has ever been removed from the, from, as a result of the 14th Amendment, Section 3. And it was like a county commissioner in New Mexico in 2022 as a result of january 6th he was already been he was he had already assumed office and they kicked him out over that but no one cares about a county commissioner but this is huge 
But let's say the court, okay, let's presume for a moment that the court is as quick as it was back in 2000. Oh God, well, that was 24 hours. Yeah, that, well, this could be 24 hours. They could hear these arguments. Which means, I, in, in which case, that means they've already decided what they're going to do. I think they already have. I think they've, these are, don't forget, these are legal for all of their faults, for uh, for all of the trips they take, even Clarence uh, Thomas is a legal wonk. You yeah, know, sure. they, they love the law. They, they live, think and, about they the live law. and breathe this stuff. Not to mention right. they have brilliant clerks. So they have this question before them, and it's something that's never been tried or really heard from before. And now, you know, this is in front of them, and they will decide the, 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 in large part who the next president is. A, they have to get it out fast, Ted. They have to. True, true. And I well, suspect maybe, it, maybe there's less pressure now because in terms of time, because both the the primaries are effectively over. So they have really until the summer. Um, but ballots are being printed. You're but yeah, you're probably right. I'm just thinking from a practical standpoint, how soon do you have to have this? And also I think you have to have it by like late July, I would think. I think by the latest, I suspect, I think they may take like a well, week. They won't take the that long. most. At They'll the take most. a week or two, maybe. Yeah, at the most, because they, like I said, this there, seems this is one me. of those things like clear my calendar, drop everything else, let the grass grow tall. I'm not cutting it. I'm, this is all we're doing right now. But let me ask you, Ted, I mean, given how you couch this, and I think you're right on. If you are uh, Associate Justice Rawl, mm. And this is in front of you. It's a no-win situation because, I mean, the Supreme Court technically should only look at the law and, and let the chips fall where they, where they may in the language of the Colorado Supreme Court ruling without fear or favor. But that's not how it really is. I, I mean, don't think you can. Court is can supremely you? political. And they kind of this is where they have a role that has developed over the years as national referee. They're the ref. They have to call safe or out, right? Right, right. Now, and I'm trying to think the um, the Roberts Court has had a history of like doing these niggling little uh, before they had or this conservative majority, before particularly Dobbs. yeah before Dobbs, this sort of niggling little like a nibble along the edges of a of a of a of a, of a case, right? That the the and the very narrow decisions. Ted, you are right on this one. They, you can't get away with that. There's no, I've been thinking about this for weeks. Yeah, what's, so the you. what's the compromise? What's the cop out? What's, yeah, 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 what's, yeah. what's the Biden, what, what is the Bill Clinton option, right? That depends what the is, is. What What is the weasel approach? And I'm trying to think that the weasel approach, I mean, you could conceivably, and you'd still have to get a majority. Well, on a technicality. He, the president would, is not an officer of the United States. Done. You could do that, but that still, then you're and, saying. And everyone that the, loses respect for the court. Right. Well, you could couch it in the, you know, the other way you can tap dance away from this would be that this original intent, which mo majority of the uh, justices believe, and they could say this was clearly and obviously designed specifically to be applied to the Confederacy post-Civil War and so and, and, and officers of the Confederacy. null and void four years later. Right. There you go. And you could do that. Again, that means that Trump gets away with it again. And the, you know, and the left is going to lose its fucking mind. 
if they rule that way and they're going to um well not the left the oh le yeah lefties aren't voting for joe biden you mean liberals well, i mean democrats democrats yeah <laughs> okay um that's a topic for another pod but there's a lot of evidence that that the pro progressive left is going to sit on their hands this fall I think they are. I think you would well, listen to the kids. Listen to those kids today. They're not going to vote. I talked to who was I talking to uh, a 20 something daughter of a friend of mine. And she's like, I can't vote for him. I look, look, look at how he's dealing with Gaza. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's like I'm with the kids. They're right. I don't. Well, I think it's. Yeah, well, I disagree, obviously. But um, hell, they may only have one candidate to vote for. Um, before we tie this up, who what are the others? There's like. Okay, so we we have Colorado, we have Maine, but the other states, there's like 12, 13 other states, 14 other states, Ted, yeah, that look, are let's 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 look at let's because look. none of them if my my understanding is none of them are toss-up states right now, but um or states that Trump has to win. But could you imagine you said a hundred million? I don't think that number's wrong when you say a hundred million Americans are gonna yeah, eighty million people voted for Donald Trump, right? Well, Almost. seventy, but okay. 74. Um, but so what, I mean, what, and I, I think you would be among them who would just be mortified that he would be removed from the ticket that from the, from the ballot. It's a that huge he, mistake. All right. Here's what we've got pending. Okay. okay. Um, Go. And I think this is important because we should look at which of these are swing states. Okay. So okay. we have pending, pending to remove Trump are the states of California. Okay, Democrat. New Mexico. Oh, yeah, New Mexico. Swing. Democrat. No. no De oh, no, that's Not a Democratic swing? state. No. Texas. No, no. Not a swing state. That's a red state. That's huge. Who would remove it from there? There's no one in the well, there's, legislature. There's pending legislation. Alaska. Um, Trump, Republican. Both Carolinas. Uh, North, North Carolina, South Carolina, not. It's a red, 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 Virginia. red state. North Carolina is a swing state. Virginia, swing state. Uh, I'm, I'm saving the best for last. Uh, we're okay. not there yet. New York. Democrat. Vermont and New Hampshire. De well, New Hampshire is traditionally a red state, but it hasn't lately. But so Vermont, purplish. of course, is, is deep blue. Oh, but yeah. Wisconsin. Holy shit cakes. There's no there is no route to 270 for Biden that doesn't run through Wisconsin. Biden or Trump? Biden. He has to have Wisconsin. So now there's um, okay. So then there's uh, let's God, Texas. First of all, Texas they would they have a lot of guns there. I'm not sure if you know this. Tim. Now there's the cases where <laughs> he's already been disqualified. Those were pending cases. Um, the state of Colorado and Maine, right? Right. Um, and then there's states where it's been dismissed, but now it's been it's being appealed. Okay, so I think right. those they states, can dismiss. They can those states would end up being ruled by this whatever the supreme court right here right arizona is that is a toss-up that's that's you know obviously a toss-up state as well wyoming uh red state i'm saving the best for last massachusetts okay well really blue west virginia uh red okay illinois and florida illinois is red as hell and Florida, I mean, blue Illinois is hell. Illinois is red as hell? No, no, Illinois no, blue, blue. I, I meant blue. No, I meant blue. No, you Illinois is not a swing, swing state. You don't think it's swing? Oh, God, Florida. no. We know Florida. 
Cooper. Not anymore. I don't not think anymore, it's. Man. I don't think it's swing state anymore. I think it's, Florida reminds me a lot of Ohio. Well, mm-hmm. not the weather, of course, but the uh, the fact that Ohio for years was the swing state, right? The swing state. No, not As goes, no, it's 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 very much locked into the red <coughs> column, to the Republican column. Florida, I think, is is solid red. I mean, I just right, well, cannot that's see that. That's the current situation. But you've got North Carolina, Wisconsin, Arizona, uh, as you know, those are. I mean, those are huge. And if he gets kicked off the ballot there, then I think then you're looking at an uprising. And I'm not sure that I, I, you know what, Ted? You know what, Ted? We've been talking about this now for about an hour <laughs> or about a half hour, rather. Yeah. Neither one I'm of us has out. said how we would rule if we were associate justice standards. Oh, yeah. We need, to, we need to decide that. And so the thing is, there's the question of what the court will look like shit if it, if it, subverts the 14th amendment and it'll look like it has its thumb on the scale or it can destroy democracy and also look like it has its thumb on the scale. I think they're going to decide that first and foremost, the politics will suck no matter what. Yeah. So the question is simply what's best for the country and what's best for the law. And I think the question comes down to the country's more important. I think they will, come up with some bullshit reason to let Trump stay on the ballot. It'll be on a okay. technicality. Like maybe it's, it's, you can't define insurrection. The language is too vague. So for it to be enforceable, you know, I don't know. Okay. But, but you're, you're not saying how associate justice Ugh. Theodore Rawl would rule associate, just, associate Justice Theodore Rawl abstains. <laughs> no, is an ideologue and always has been, and an idealist, and believes in following the rules no matter what. So I would rule in favor of the removal under the Fourteenth Amendment, because that would be my job. It's not the. I don't think Theodore Associate Justice Theodore Rawl is a wise or good justice in this situation. <laughs> I'm just telling you that. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think, think I would quit the court. I would resign. I would be like, <laughs> fuck this. Oh, I know. <coughs> I don't feel so good today. I can't come, the- <coughs> I can't come to court. <laughs> COVID, get him in. Bye. Go away. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I respect your decision, but curiously, I really respect your reasoning prior to saying that what's best for the country and what's best for the law. And there are two very different things here. You're absolutely right. I would rule in favor of what's best for the country. And, and I would say, keep him. That. And I would say, keep him on the ballot. I, and you know, you, we've already touched on it. You yeah, can have some Chief, bullshittery. Justice Scott Stantis is, he's a pragmatist, I think, you know? Well, okay. You take him off the ballot. And, and this, this, this goes, and don't forget, Arizona had a, uh, during the, you know, that whole, uh, Kelly, what's her name, uh, thing with, and that whole, every single constitutional officer in Arizona, the legislature, both houses are now democratic. Um, you, they will move to remove Donald Trump, given the green light from the Supreme court, places like Arizona will do it. Wisconsin, the same kind of thing happened. Um, you're going to, s- 
I have no earthly idea what that is. I'm sorry for I those of you know. who I are just listening. A bunch I of balloons like, just like flew by my face. Um, so Wisconsin, same same sort of thing happened there. A lot of Democratic victories there. Um, they could remove him. You take him off of Wisconsin, him, Donald Trump. You take him off of Wisconsin. You take him off of Arizona ballots. You've essentially said he cannot win the presidency because he can't. He didn't. Couldn't win him. And that's how he won in 2016. Um, you mentioned the number 100 million people disenfranchised. I think you're absolutely right. And they rise up and God knows what happens next. I mean, do you think there would be civil conflict or do you think yes. it would just be random like assassinations? And I think you'd see armed MAGA people attacking the polling places burning them to the ground, shooting people who are there. It will get, it would get violent and ugly. And I mean, That's not I hate, at all. I hate to sound Teddy, Teddish, Ted Rollish here, but you can't blame them. You know, they, you're effectively saying you cannot vote now. One side issue. It's a very small one, not nearly as profound as what we were just discussing, but let's say the court does rule quickly. Does the Republican party still nominate Donald Trump? Well, I'm going to, that's a good question. And this is probably something you would know more about. Um, my suspicion, I mean, there's two routes that they could go. They could nominate Donald Trump and say, you know, we're going down with this ship. We're loyal to our leader. We're not going to like let ourselves get rolled. Or they could say, this is reality. Um, we have no choice. Um, you know, like we, we have to like, we have to pick Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley. Could you imagine the shitstorm if they did that? Yeah. I mean, it would be, again, it would be a position this country has not been in. It's been in for a few times. I mean, the Whiskey Rebellion, you can look at that. You can look at the Civil War, of course. There are other times. I mean, the end of um, Reconstruction, There, the violence there was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so we've been we've been to places like that. The race riots of the early part of the 20th century. Same thing. Um, yeah. So we've seen this bursting of of violent action. But if there's but you know if the Republican Party said okay listen you know they said we can't be on half the ballot you know 16 ballots in this in the in the in the, in the election the fall election we'd like to win this one Trump will never step down he'll never back down on this thing. Um, the Republican Party itself would be put in a position, an impossible position. And if it did decide, like you said, let's say the RNC mm -hmm. nominates Nikki Haley or or DeSantis or someone else, mm -hmm. um, the Trumps would Trumpies would go and have the you know the the current the the what would you call them the right the right Republicans or whatever you would call them, and they would have their convention and they'd nominate them. Now, does that get on ballots? It can't. Because the Supreme Court already said that that states can block them. Yeah. This gets this gets so ugly so fast. This is so important. I mean, it truly is, Ted. I just can't. You and I have never seen anything like this in our lifetime ever, and we no, lived through this nobody 60s. has. And it's like you I think. I, I mean, what's shocking to me is not that we're in this position, because every system contains the roots of its future demise, and the United States Constitution is no exception. But I'm uh, but I do think 
what's shocking to me is how we're sleepwalking into it and how the media doesn't seem to understand the gravitas and the Democratic Party doesn't seem don't. to understand that this is a car that they don't want to catch. Have you ever heard any of the Democratic, our friends, either in cartooning, uh, commentary, in the world of politics, I've not heard one Democrat say the things you say, Ted, which is that this is, we're walking into a morass, that, uh, an abyss of which we may never come back. Do that, but I'm, what I'm hearing from the from the Democrats from the left is that this is great. Of course, he's an evil man. He's a bad orange person. We can't have him on the ballot. Of course, we should be able to kick him off. Yeah. And I'm going, Holy Mary, Mother of God. Think about what you're saying and think of the repercussions of what you're They're saying. They're not thinking about the repercussions. No. They just don't care. They just want Trump gone. And that's bullshit. But anyway, because it's like, it's about, you know, yeah, you want to do things, but you don't want to be in the fascist cult of action. You want to think, you know, Democrats like to say that they're the careful, thoughtful party, but they're not being thoughtful or careful here. Anyway, we should leave that here. Okay. All right. Because we have more stuff to talk about. So we do. Let's take a quick break and come right back. Welcome back to the DMZ America podcast for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. I'm editorial cartoonist Ted Rall coming to you from the left. And I'm editorial cartoonist Scott Stannis coming to you from the right. So, Scott, as I know you're well aware, Tucker Carlson, former Fox host, now independent, um, secured a high profile interview with Russian Federation President Vladimir Putin. Uh, he was tooling around Moscow the last couple of days. Rumors were afoot. Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin um, spokesperson, uh, confirmed that Putin gave the interview. Apparently, the interview is going to air tomorrow, is what we hear. Um, but I think basically it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, why, why, uh, why, why Tucker would want it is pretty clear and why Putin would want to talk to the American people is pretty clear. Um, apparently there, ha- uh, Tucker said that claimed that, uh, no one in the West wanted to interview Putin. Uh, that's Tucker not true. Said that wasn't true. Um, no. But that uh, there had been a bunch of uh, interview requests by Western media outlets, as he called them, Anglo-Saxon media outlets, but that they had not been granted. Um, obviously, Putin expects to get a what he would think considered to be a fairer hearing. I would imagine certainly a less edited hearing. Um, I would imagine that Tucker will probably run the whole thing or almost the whole thing in a way that Western news media never would have. Um, I mean, you know, at, at worst, you know, at the most innocent, uh, they would have cut for time. And at the least innocent, uh, they would cut anything that made Putin look good <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. emphasize anything that made him look bad. And obviously that's not something Putin would want because he's not an idiot. And so this is Putin's big opportunity in a high profile, particularly directed to the right, because those are the people who who watch Tucker Carlson. Um, it's sort of a hodgepodge of right wingers, MAGA people, and progressives who are interested in Tucker Carlson, um, who hmm. because they really? as an uncensored voice and someone who is suspicious of military interventionism. Um, so they don't agree with everything that he has to say, but they they're kind of like, well, I'm interested. Tucker's interesting. I'll check him out. 
Um, so Putin's going to talk to the American people. I suspect that a major topic will be Ukraine. And that, you know, you and I were talking about and have been talking about sort of offline. Uh, what should, you know, at some point, it's pretty clear that, look, this war is going to end in diplomacy. Um, yeah. At some point, they're going to negotiate. They're going to have to. The Ukrainians thought they could kick the Russians completely out of Ukraine, including out of out of Crimea. It's pretty clear the Russians aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And the Ukrainians are are have reported that they're outgunned. They're on the run. They're losing. They're out of ammunition. Um, the the impasse in Congress means that there's less materiel going. But you know the Ukrainians always had an uphill battle anyway because. They're one sixth the size of Russia. Russia is a major, mil formidable ma military power. Ukraine, even with the help of NATO and the United States, just can't match that. And so their counteroffensive against Russia last summer failed. And so here we are. Basically, the lines haven't really moved all that no. much in the last year. Uh, and basically, we find ourselves as follows in the, the peninsula of Crimea has been firmly in Russian hands since 2014, when there was a plebiscite um, that was observed by international observers, but basically it was sort of a soft invasions, like what they called them, the little green men, the Russian soldiers who sort of appeared, but they weren't in uniform, but they were wearing military type gear and they were driving tanks, but the insignia had been painted over and they weren't talking to anybody, but we kind of all knew where they were from. And they were well-received because the people of Crimea are ethnically Russian, overwhelmingly. They were happy to be part of Russia. Then there's the Donbass, which incorporates what they call the Donetsk and the Luhansk People's Republics, which have probably some of, as a vexologist, some of the more interesting flags because oh. they're Soviet flags, basically. Um, and <laughs> so they still have hammers and sickles and stuff on them. And, uh, but they're not really Soviet you know, ideologically. But anyway, the point is that those um, basically were autonomous zones um, that that I think last year or the year before requested uh, to be brought into Russia and annexed into Russia. And Russia did that. The Crimea thing, I think everyone kind of understands that's a fait accompli. Um, I think Donetsk and Luhansk is kind of still like you know, it's that's a de facto, it's a fact on the ground, but the international community hasn't really ceded it. Um, I mean, I don't think Zelensky ever expects to see Crimea back, but he might like to get Donetsk and Luhansk back. Those are ethnically Russian also. They probably are people who mostly don't want to go back to join Ukraine. And so the question is, you know, what, what should be done about Putin's demands and Zelensky's demands. Zelensky wants Russia completely out of every yeah, square inch of what was Ukrainian territory before 2014. Um, Putin wants, uh, he wants Crimea, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, and he wants the U he wants uh, Ukraine to drop any pretense of trying to join NATO and for Russia and Ukraine to sign a mutual non-aggression treaty. In other words, we do not view each other as enemies or adversaries. And then he's okay, and Putin is okay with efforts of Ukraine to join the EU should they want to do that. That's basically where things stand. Right. Okay. So this the spring offensive um, wasn't 
it, it just didn't go anywhere. The Russians, they, they stiffened up resistance. Uh, the Donbass region, which is where they, th they the Ukrainians thought they'd have the most success, had none. Uh, they were hoping to make some incursions into Crimea. They had none. Um, this is, I mean, I, I hate to say it because I, I, you and I disagreed on the, you, you thought that Putin may have had a, a, a stronger case for invasion than I do. Um, but regardless of any of that, we are, you know, reality is where we are today. And the reality is the Donbass belongs to Russia. Crimea belongs to Russia. That's not moving. Um, if I were Russia, I would make some, excuse me, some concessions for the, for world consumption saying, listen, we're going to give them this. And it could be, you know, 10 square blocks of Donetsk or, you know, so, someplace, you know, <laughs> a, a town you've never, they have to do something like that just to show that there is some room to negotiate because right some now- deal. Some give, and it, it can just be purely symbolic. The fact of the matter is, when all is said and done, Russia is going to get what Russia wanted, which is means that uh, a commitment by Ukraine not to join uh, the EU, demilitarize. No, they they're not asking for that. The EU is okay. I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, NATO. You've got. Um, you know, some kind of demilitarized zone on the border, some kind of commitment to non-aggression from both sides. Now, how do you how do you guarantee that from the Russian side? I don't know, but you're going to see uh, those areas that are now being occupied by Russian forces. They're going to they're going to have to concede that to Russia because there's no way Russia is going to give it up. And if you don't do that, this goes on forever. Now. The fact that the Ukrainian forces say they're running out of ammunition and stuff kind of makes you wonder where they've misplaced the money, the scads, the tons, the gobs of money we've sent to them. Um, you know, I, I hate the fact, and I, I know it seems nitpicky and weird and very um, nerdy to say I, I really wanted and demanded a strong accounting of where this money ended up. We don't know, Ted. We have no idea. They can tell us. I mean, well, but, I think we have some idea. Oh, I think Mr. Zelensky has a lovely retirement place picked out in, you know, Zurich or, you know, <laughs> wherever. French Riviera. Yeah. Um, well, but, but the bank account might be in Zurich or in uh, the Cayman Islands or. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens. Luxembourg every time. is very good with secrecy laws. Are they? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. so there's that. Uh, that's where this stuff goes. I am. Um, Zelensky's talking about firing his um, the head of the you know the the, the top military guy who did um, General Zeluzhny. So Zeluzhny, how do you say it? Zeluzhny. Zeluzhny is talking about running for president himself, but that would imply that there are going to be elections, which there haven't been. And so, and I would suspect that there may be you know he may be on a helicopter ride that goes horribly awry. Well, one of them, I suspect. I think there's only going to be one room for a top uh, guy with whose last name starts with a Z. <laughs> and if, so whether it's Zelensky or Zeluzhny, uh, there will be one. There will be one, and then there will be one less. Um, uh, the, the 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 common narrative right now is that you can't bow tow kowtow to Putin. He'll just that will just ennoble him to go and invade other places. Firstly, I don't think that's true, and I'll tell you why. 
real quick because I this was a full on invasion in terms of they 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 came across the border. I think their expectation, they being uh, Putin and his minions, that they would somehow this would be a pushover, and it wasn't. So to the credit of the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian people, they stood up and they fought. Um, but ultimately, this is what Putin wanted and should have gotten gone for in the first place. And um, so, like I said, it's going to be the Donbass region. It's going to be Crimea. That's going to be Russia. Um, where do we go from? And does this embolden Putin? Putin tried a full on invasion and failed. Um, his other tactics well, of look. Got... It depends. I mean, here's the thing: when you always when when one looks at something and says, "Okay, this would embolden Putin." By the way, this same this is a very American idea that doesn't seem to have a lot of doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, oh, if Putin wins in Ukraine, it'll embolden China to invade Taiwan. No, Ch China will. If China decides to invade Taiwan, it will base that decision. Um, based on, it'll weigh a bunch of factors. How likely are we to piss off the Americans to the point where we end up in a hot war? Will we end up fucking up our um, economic links um, that we've built up so carefully over the past 40, 50 years? Um, will we get away with it? Will we be able to rule the people of Taiwan? Um, how will this play domestically? They're going to weigh those things. It's not about like, look, it's not, it's so childlike. Oh, Putin invaded Ukraine. So, you know, as me, President Xi, I can take Taiwan. It doesn't work that way. You, you Now, the only way that I think these things are interrelated is that President Xi, if he did decide to go into Taiwan, would might say like, well, the Americans are very busy. They're tied down with Israel and Ukraine. They might not really feel like they can bug us too. This might be a good time to go after Taiwan. That's how that might play. Um, but I don't think, and in terms of like, here's the thing. If Putin was all invading and wanted to invade all over the place, there are other places he could have gone into first. This isn't a, it isn't a land grab. This is about assuring Russian security. I mean, like basically Russia for 500 years, I mean, well, forever, the, the territory of Russia under the czars and under the Soviet Union, they have always tried to assure their security by having vassal states and 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 uh, buffer states surrounding them, right? They had, during after World War II, they had Eastern Europe. They're like, we have this buffer zone. The Germans can't come after us. You know, they had Central Asia to protect them from like, the crazies in Afghanistan and the and India, the Brits back in the day, like they've always wanted buffer and like because there's not really a lot of natural barriers to protect Russia from invasion. And when and so like Ukraine is the most sensitive of all of Russia's borders, because historically the Nazis came in through there in, in, in 1941 and 25 million Russians died as a result. And the Ukrainians didn't acquit themselves with a lot of glory. They welcomed the Nazis. So the Russians don't trust that border. And so the Ukrainians, when they started playing, like, we're going to join NATO, you know, they, the Russians got nervous. And so, but if they were, if the Russians were just looking at the map like a game of risk, there's a lot of other places they could have taken over completely. And they have not done that. I think the Russians would rather rent than own. 
I think the Russians would, they, they want to rent Ukraine. They don't want to own it and occupy it. They rent Belarus, right? They, they rent Georgia and Azerbaijan. They rent part of Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. They, they're like, we have relations. We have good relations. We know they'll take our calls. We know they won't fuck with us. They want that same relationship with Ukraine. I don't think they want to have Russian troops stationed there fending off attacks all the time. It's just not their, it's not their model. Yeah, okay. First off, I, I'm going to disagree that it's not a land grab. It definitely was a land grab. That's what, why the Donbass is being occupied by Russian forces. It gives you a bridge. and a buffer. A, a, no, it gives you, no. It's, okay. it's something even more practical than that. I think it's actually a, a way to transport from Russia to Crimea. You have this. Well, that's true. Um, Although they so, have that ability to do that anyway. You know, there's a land bridge. Well, if you, I'm, I'm looking right now at a map of, of Crimea. Crimea is attached. If you pull it up, um, there's a bridge right into uh, that goes right to uh, Novorysk and Krasnodar in Russia. Um, you know, Crimea, they can they can service Crimea anytime they want. Right under the Sea of Azov. Right. But well, but you don't. And the and the and the upper up the uh, Donbass region still is being occupied by Russian forces, and they want to hold on to that. They, you're not going to see Putin say, "Okay, we won this one; you guys can have it back," because that's not you. Firstly, ethnically, practically, that's not how that's going to play True, out. The map of Ukraine was not a lot of maps. Uh, the Soviet Republic maps, a lot of them weren't good, and this is one. And Ukraine was an example of that. That Ukrainian-Russian border. Actually, I mean, I hate to say it. I, I hate to see war. I hate to see invasion. But the current front lines make a lot more sense as a border between Ukraine and Russia when you consider the ethnicities than the pre-war boundaries did. Well, and so getting to the, the, the nub of the issue here, I think you you and I both say this is over. This The, the war is now, it can continue, but it's just going it to be grind just on. But, yeah, yeah, but it's, going to, it's nothing's going to move. Any, there won't be any movement. Right. And so what do we as Americans and as a world, uh, what do we want? We want, you know, just say it's over, make concessions, deal with them as they come and then move move forward. And I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure that the United States, because we tend, you know, we <laughs> we tend to drag wars out for the average seems about 20 years. Right. Well, that seems no, to that, that's 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 unfair even to our stupid asses. Afghanistan was 20 and that was the longest. Yeah, but Vietnam was close to that. Vietnam started in 59, ended in 74. Um, you've got, uh, yeah, obviously Iraq, same thing. Although that's not over. We're still there. Apparently that's they're still true. bombing shit. Yeah, um, and who knew that we had invaded Jordan? Every now and then, that's how we learn. Like, oh, by the way, your son died someplace that you didn't even know he was at. Huh. Wow. Huh, Djibouti. Huh. <laughs> Who knew? That can happen. Oh, Djibouti? Yeah, actually, it could. That can happen. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we do have, we have shit there. The you poor man saw Somalia. Kenya, Tanzania, you name it. Mozambique, which has an awesome flag, by the way. It does have the, uh, if you're an NRA member, you've got to love that Mozambique flag. Yes, it has a, it has a rifle on it. AK-47. Yeah. Um. It's, there's, okay. several, there's a couple other countries that have AK-47s on the flag, aren't there? Or am I mistaken? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of what flags. I was 
testing myself the other day. What flags have have weapons on them? Uh, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, swords. Yeah, a lot of swords. There's a lot of swords, but actual guns. Can't really sense. I'm trying to think if there's an How other about rocks as a weapon. <laughs> they used to be, or arrows, or the um, holy hand grenade from Monty Python. <laughs> a reading well, from the Book of Armaments. So are you gonna are you gonna watch the uh, interview? I guess the oh, uh, Tucker. I'm absolutely going to watch it. Um, you know, uh, it's it should be fascinating. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, look, I'm re- I'm currently reading. Uh, Philip Short's biography of Putin, which when when I'm done, it'll be in my next box of books that I send to you. Oh, thanks. Uh, And you'll like it. It's fascinating. The overtures, so many overtures that Putin made to the United States during the 90s and 2000s. He wanted to, he kept requesting to join NATO. He, and at one point, um, so the thing about NATO is, of course, people forget this. NATO is, um, you know, I don't know, there's like 18, 19 countries in it. But really, all the decisions are made by the old uh, World War II allies, the, which is now called the Quad. So that's the U.S., the U.K., France, and Germany. Um, and uh, well, Germany obviously wasn't a World War II ally. But anyway, yeah. the point is that's the, those they run everything. Uh, countries like Latvia are just rubber stamps, right? And so um, the U.S. said, "Okay, well, maybe you guys, Russia, you guys can join NATO, but you'll just be one of like the 20. And they were like, we're not going to be like Latvia. Like, no. And and so, and they were like, after 9-11, again, Russia provided all, all sorts of intel about Al-Qaeda and terrorism to, um, to uh, the Bush administration and who, who snubbed them at every turn. Also, uh, when the Bush went into Iraq in 2002, 2003, um, they, they kept trying to uh, say, like, you know, Saddam has WMDs, but, you know, Saddam had close ties to Russia and Russia intelligence was very deeply involved in Iraq. And so they contacted the Bush administration repeatedly and they were like, you do know, we know Saddam doesn't have WMDs or the capability. And here's the intel. We'll sh- we'll, they gave everything that they knew to the Americans and, the Amer- and you know, Dick Cheney's people didn't want to hear it. It's no. like, you know, no. And so at every turn, even by the even by the memories, and Philip Short doesn't like Putin. Uh, he's this is not a pro-Putin book, but it makes very clear that the United States repeatedly rebuffed American overtures. I mean, Russian overtures repeatedly. Um, it's really sad. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, there's a at the National Archives, there's a famous letter from Castro, I believe, to young Fidel Castro, to FDR, talking about how much he admired the United States. And it's kind of like, we could have had that. We could have had that friendship. Um, Ho Chi Minh loved the United States and wanted a relationship and, again, was snubbed at every turn. Um, You know, we're kind of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you have all the money, you can be. But you shouldn't be. In fact, that's exactly when you shouldn't be. Anyway, so, okay, so basically, um, I guess the the question of where this all comes down, I think we basically agree. I don't, I think the Russian view is going to be, we don't have to make any concessions. You guys imposed all sorts of sanctions on us. You treated us like shit. I could see, I, w- I could see a quid pro quo where Russia says, okay, we'll make, we'll pay reparations, like, re- you know, reconstruction in Ukraine, 
we'll send more money for you guys to embezzle, but uh, you guys have to, you have to drop, the West has to drop all their sanctions. But at this point, maybe Russia doesn't care about the sanctions because they have a whole new relationship with China and India that they didn't have before. So the, the war has created a whole realignment and all sorts of opportunities for Russia and for China that didn't exist before. It's pushed them into each other's arms, just like Vivek has said, and he's right about that. Yeah, I think they. I think Russia would prefer not to have the sanctions. It just makes life easier sure. for everybody. Sure, but yeah, um, yeah. but nah, then it's not going to. <laughs> Although, yeah, you know, once the U.S. imposes sanctions, you never get rid of them. I know it's the weirdest, the damnedest thing. I think we still have. Uh, I still think, think we have sanctions against the Ottomans. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> All right, with that. <laughs> Let's take a break and come right back. Okay, then. Welcome back to the final final countdown. Fuck that. That's my morning show. God, Ted. Uh, welcome back to the DMZ America podcast. That's what it is for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. <laughs> Coming to you from the left, I'm political cartoonist Ted Rawl. And I am not Ted's co-host on The Final Countdown, Angie Wong. I am, in, in fact, editorial cartoonist Scott Stantis. In this day and age, with trans, possible. Don't judge me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> editorial cartoonist Scott Stantis, coming to you from the right. So, last, final episode, final segment, not final episode, final segment. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. You and you and I are like, we're like fucking, we're like fucking Biden confusing, uh, conflating Emmanuel Macron with François Mitterrand and conflating France with Germany all in the same breath. Um, okay, so Alan Lichtman <laughs> is a presidential historian who has uh, who has a very good record of predicting presidential race outcomes since 1984. So over the last four, uh, 40 years. And he has a formula called the keys to the White House. And you and I are both students of presidential history. Um, you're more knowledgeable than I am about this. Um, mm. And there are 13 true or false questions that Lichtman believes establishes a good indication of, of who will finally win each fall. Uh, each question is asked about the two nominees. If true, they get a key. If false, uh, their competitor receives the key. So in other words, you can only, you, there's no metric on which the uh, person, the, uh, they can both receive. The, uh, the key. You give the key for each thing to one person. So here are the keys. Party mandate, contest, incumbency, third party, short-term economy, long-term economy, policy change, social unrest, scandal, foreign or military failure, foreign or military success, incumbent charisma, and challenger charisma. So currently, uh, Biden's incumbency gives him one automatic point. Key number three. Uh, RF Kennedy, RFK Jr., however, uh, did not end up appearing on the Democratic side, so therefore there's no um, there's no challenge. So that gives him uh, another key for Biden because he had no significant third party or independent primary challenge. Um, he also received keys for having economic growth. However, uh, Trump gets a key, which is the uh, whoever holds the majority in the House of Representatives, which is the Republican Party. And Lichtman gives Trump key number 12, 
for because he has charisma, Biden doesn't. And possibly another point, if Biden fails to have another, a major success in foreign or military affairs, um, there hasn't been one so far. Um, so he, I, uh, okay. the, this outcome did correctly predict that Trump would win in 2016 and that Biden would win in 2020. So I think we should look at the other keys and try to determine where we're at, right? So basically, okay. Trump has, Biden has five, Trump has three, if we agree with Lichtman. So, um, all right, so let's go with uh, short-term economy. So I'm gonna say in terms of short-term economy, okay, I agree with Lichtman, Biden gets that. Um, policy change, um, you know, is there going to be a major policy, policy change uh, or social unrest? Social unrest would, would vote against the incumbent. So is so like well, that, lives matter that kind of thing for right. uh, well, chaos. That plays right into what we talked about in the first segment, and that is if the Supreme Court rules that Donald Trump cannot appear on ballots, you bet your sweet ass there be unrest. Yes, there okay, will. So be. then, then we go Trump to we go Biden ahead by five to four. Um, we would also have to say um, more foreign or military failure. I could see the war in Ukraine being considered, like maybe that's a half point, right? Because it's yeah. pretty clear that Ukraine is lost, but it might not be really under, widely understood in the news media or by the public by November. What do you think? I think it's got to be, it's going to become more and more glaringly obvious that this is a, that this, that the Ukrainians have lost this war. They, you could paint it as a victory in that Russia did not take over Ukraine. But they had obviously huge swatches of it are going to be removed and put into the into the Russian sphere. So, yeah, that's a fail. I I almost said it's a fail, but I can go with a half fail. Okay, I think that's I think that's where we're at there. Um, you know, oh, we could get to a full fail though with Israel and Gaza because that that, that num that um I mean it's it's militarily successful, but it's a pyrrhic victory for the Israelis and it's. And right now, man, approve opinion polls in favor of Gaza or the, in favor of the of Israel's policy in Gaza are tanking fast. Oh yeah, no, they are, but that still doesn't. I don't know that that plays comes to the level that you're describing. I really don't. I think that but um, maybe half and half. You know, half Ukraine, half half mm -hmm. Israel. Remember, it's by November. I mean, by November, we're going to have Gazans living out in the desert in Sinai. Um, yeah, well, you already do. You already have them. Um, this has been, in terms of the assault, it's pretty much near the end. And the Ukraine and the Ukrainians. They're about to go into Russia. The Gazans. Yeah, they don't have. Um, and what is that? How does that end? And the fact of the matter is the world has not risen up. The world has not uh, condemned them in any in any serious way so i i don't see that as as an issue going in the fall it would be you know what would be an issue ted it'll be an issue with younger voters especially college-age voters which by the way they don't fucking vote so it doesn't in my mind as a practical political matter don't care hmm. all right so I, I'm, I'm being brutally honest here but that's the that's the that's the facts on the on the ground as i see them so there Okay.
All right. So, so here we go again. When five or more, when six or when five or fewer of the following statements are false, the incumbent wins. When six or more are false, the incumbent loses. Okay. So blast through them. So let's 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 go through them. Um, so six means Biden loses. Okay. Number one. After the midterm elections, the incumbent party holds more seats in the House. Okay, that's that is that is, that statement is false. That that statement is false. Um, the 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 uh, Biden yeah the Republicans gained seats in the House in the last midterm election, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, remember the red wave did not materialize, but right. still picked up a few seats. Okay, yeah. so that's. A, so that's. I think that. Well, no, I think the Democrats gained seats, though. Did they not? No, they did not. Okay. They lost. All seats. right. All right. All right. Okay. So. Okay. So that's one, but uh, no primary contest. There is no serious um, contest for the incumbent party nomination. That's that statement true. is false. Okay. So. Wait. Well, no, it's true. There is no serious primary. Oh right, right, right. Okay, so that okay, so that we're still at one. The incumbent is the sitting the the incumbent party candidate is the sitting president. That's also true. No third. There is no significant third party or independent campaign. That's not true. You have um, you have Robert F. Kennedy at twenty percent in the polls. That's significant. I haven't seen that high, but I've seen it in the teens. Um, that's significant. Anything that's over still, five yeah. is significant. Yeah. I'd say it's true. So we're at two. Strong short-term economy. The economy is not in recession during the election. That is true. Strong long-term economy. Real per capita economic growth during the term equals or exceeds mean growth during the previous two terms. From two. So in other words, from 2012 to 2020. um, I think that probably is true. I mean, economic growth has been, although there was this huge downturn during COVID, but yeah, Biden's, I think it's probably true. Um, yeah. Major yeah, policy change. The incumbent administration affects major changes in national policy. I would say that's true. No social unrest. There is no sustained social unrest during the term. Well, that's not true because we had Black Lives Matter in, but that was under Trump, right? Yeah, that was under Trump. That was and not under Biden. So it could be true. So we're going to say maybe a third. Um, yeah. No scandal. The incumbent administration is untainted by major scandal. Not true. Is that true? I guess it is true. Although well, let's add, I mean, Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say the Hunter Biden and the uh, kickback scheme still doesn't have a lot of legs with a lot it of It doesn't. It doesn't. All right. So we're still at sort of two for sure, two maybes. No foreign fail, no foreign military failure. I think we add up to one failure there. And then no, no major, the, the incumbent administration achieves a major success. Mm, that's false. There will be none for sure. I think that you're going to no see major the success. What's the major, major success? international success? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, none. no, no. So I that, think you, that's for sure. Yeah, what you could see something spun as, for instance, a ceasefire in Gaza and or a ceasefire slash some kind of peace if settlement came in, down in to Ukraine. Like, if they were agreeing to like a, a Palestinian state and see permanent, permanent ceasefire, that would be a major policy success. I would agree, but we're not, I don't think that's going to happen. So we're at three charismatic incumbent. 
the incumbent <laughs> charismatic that or a national hero false for no have you have you heard him speak by the way in the, oh like uncharismatic <laughs> challenger the challenging party candidate is not charismatic that's not true either no i hate to yeah i hate to say it that's yeah he's charismatic so so basically um when five or few so basically it all comes down to we're kind of on the edge here it comes down to whether there's any social unrest or scandal or military um you know any kind of military uh disaster yeah. yeah um i think what do you think is the more likely there i think maybe scandal or yeah. or 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 uh, yeah yeah i think that i think that, i think that could happen chicago convention could have unrest yeah, and they're talking about unrest there, but I suspect Chicago has been is ready for it. I'm just going to say. Um, oh God! All right. Uh, so I yeah. think basically the 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 um, the Alan Lickman test is far from determinative at this point. I think the jury is still out. But basically, this looks at every election from 1860 to 1980 to uh, put together this model. This predictive model was published in 1981, uh, and so anyway. It's all subjective, but some is objective, but like charisma and stuff. The charisma thing is not subjective this time. No, don't, no. D uh, Joe Biden, no, no. Especially at this stage. I mean, it's just, he talks like this. So, oh my God, it's, so it's just, it's so strange. It's just, it's awful. So, okay. All right. We're going to leave that there. Um, all right. Scott, where can people find all things Stantissian? Stantissian, you can go to chicagotribune.com slash opinion, see the gallery of the work I do for them. You can go to Dallas News, and that's the home of the Dallas Morning News, and check out the gallery I do for them. Go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis and see the gallery there, or go to gocomics.com slash prickly city and see my political comic strip. You can also go to Center Clip, which is this wonderful app that you can get for your phone, or you can just listen to it online. They're short many podcasts unlike this one <laughs> it's 30 seconds to five minutes no longer than five minutes um one of my very favorite uh contributors to that is ted rawl what so ted rawl ted rawl where can we see all things Rawley in uh, all of those things are uh those uh all things Rawlian can be found at uh, rawl.com who what why.org gocomics.com slash ted rawl uh, the aforementioned center clip, and also you can go to the final countdown on Radio Sputnik. Uh, you can find it on X Spaces or Rumble and listen to the old ones. Uh, but if you care to listen to it live, it's on Radio Sputnik or Rumble. Uh, and that's uh, 10 a.m. to 12 noon Eastern time, Monday through Friday with my co-host, Angie Wong. That'll do it for the DMZ America podcast. Thanks you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week or earlier if anything exciting happens. Uh, which these days you just never know. Thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye.